Hi, folks. Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast featuring distinctly qualified global change makers that are dedicated to creating a healthier planet, showcasing qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. And today's episode is part of the Design Science Studio series, a collaboration with the Buckminster Fuller Institute. And my guest is Ilaria Forte. Welcome, Ilaria. Thank you, Julian. Nice to see you. Yeah, Ilaria, you're an unstoppable and uplifting agent of change, inquisitive scientist and anticipatory whole systems philosopher. Ilaria has trained and inspired 500 and many plus plus leaders and managers in over 20 countries from media to healthcare. And for over two decades, Ilaria has focused on applying scientific discoveries and research insights on developing cross-cultural innovation initiatives, shifting the culture of business from competition to radical cooperation by building capacities to foster a more creative, regenerative, equitable, inclusive world. And Ilaria, I think you're possibly one of the few scientists in the Design Science Studio, maybe even the only one for the first cohort. So I'm really stoked to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Well, maybe let's start by um, asking you about the Design Science Studio. Like, What inspired you to partake? I think that was... Uh coincidence, a uh, very fortunate coincidence. Uh, um, I saw an email that was forwarded from a colleague of mine uh, where he put like a headline, this is something for you. And then I check and say, okay, yes, this is interesting. And then of course I have a long, uh, uh, long history of uh, um, studying but Mr. Fuller and uh, especially some of the principled integrity and uh, also i mean lots of principle that they are um, what 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 i call the anticipatory uh, comprehensive uh, um, thinking and uh, yeah so i think it's uh, bug mr fuller and this just coincidence, I like to take a spontaneous decision. It was nice. not a difficult decision to take part of the design science studio indeed. I enjoy very much the collaboration and I love uh, um, cross-pollination and uh, open fluid, spontaneous collaboration, co-creation that is going above and beyond uh, disciplinary boundaries. So I think the design science studio is just bringing all these elements together so that's that's great yeah that's exciting that's that's literally what intrigued me and pulled me in right the like connection to Buckminster Fuller and his work yeah. and people across my path that I've met that they continue to point to to Buckminster Fuller's you know like body of work but then also this you just said it the cross-pollination different disciplinary uh, backgrounds and and just people with a truly open mind yeah. Can I ask you, because I said this in the intro, you, you're possibly one of the only scientists. I think you were the only scientist in the first cohort. Um, how was your impression of like being around a bunch of artists and creators and content creators? And, and like, what's the joy and the gift in this like, you know, collaborative way of, of creating and learning? I've been working... Uh... I am working all the time with, with artists and I've been working the last 20 years with artists and creators together. Um, 
I am myself uh, a scientist with an artist mind or alpha scientist on artist. So I feel very good in both uh, uh, container or actually there's not a container, but the both, both the spheres of, uh, of creation. Yeah. I believe that both the scientist and the artist uh, have uh, lots of common, um, common ground and lots of common um, way of working. Uh, so as a scientist, we do a lot of exploration. Uh, well, as a social scientist, especially, and I'm actually a semiotician and cognitive scientist, I do a lot of work, a uh, uh, lot of field works and a lot of uh, um, exploratory, adventurous type of work. Uh, um, and it's very similar to the work of the artist. So um, I think it's some, somehow it overlaps and especially as a, working with the future and innovation uh, as a scientist you have to embrace more the uh, open and creative flow of the artist than the fixed mindset of a scientist working on some theoretical assumption so this is I think uh, my uh, my insights into the work of you know, being both a scientist and an artist and inside of the design science studio, uh, I think that I can bridge very good. So I see myself as a bridge and a catalyst of these forces, uh, both the artist and um, the science, more the theoretical uh, part. I mean, I can contribute to both very good and I can relate to both the spheres very good. So um, I think it's enriching, it's inspiring, and it brings about a lot of uh, um, innovative and disruptive way of uh, thinking and working. So this is going a bit over the standard way of uh, cooperation. I think it's really more this fluid and uh, spontaneous um, co-creative uh, machinery or engine uh, that is required for for uh, creating our regenerative future i think hmm. you, you you're mentioning you know the buzzword the regenerative future and i, I want to dive quite a bit deeper into that with you because one of the main you know kind of keywords that both the podcast green planet blue planet but then also the design science studio is, is really dedicated to is the idea of the regenesis right this time frame like an evolutionary kind of response to the the, the times we've been in and the, the systems we've inherited and um the, the way people say you know like business as usual and this evolutionary reaction is the times of regenesis where a regenerative way of um working both with the land in the sense of regenerative agriculture, but then also a regenerative way of co-creating, literally um, radical cooperation by fostering creativity based on multiple sectors um, can happen. And so I'm curious to dig in there a bit more. What were some of those like radical cooperation moments for you in the design science cohort? Like, did you, were there like some aha moments where like, this is, this is why this matters and this is why people should join this, this, this cohort in the following years? Yes, uh, I think there are the stories. Um, that is also the focus of my work at the design science studio. And um, I think through stories, uh, uh, so we are our stories. We are the story that we tell uh, um, each other. And we are the stories that we share and the stories that we, we tell our children. And um, 
through stories, we encourage uh, planetary transition, planetary metamorphosis towards a just and um, regenerative, creative world that is designed as gracefully and uh, comprehensively, holistically as nature. So I think this is, uh, for me, uh, the core. Um, so the way we, we reimagine and weave this mutually beneficial relationship for supporting a better future story for all. So it makes sense. So I think this is the focus on the stories and the stories of the Renaissance, they are the stories that the creators and the artists and the scientists and the designers of the Design Science Studio are telling, are sharing, are reinventing, reimagining and uh, collectively it's a tapestry, it's a beautiful tapestry with different threads. And uh, yeah, I, I love to put all these, these threads together and uh, the experiment I'm doing for the Design Science Studio in cooperation with the Design Science Studio is actually to um, create a collective stream of consciousness in support of the original science and in support of the entire planetary transition. I mean, we are going through a massive great transition, hopefully to a golden age. So where we survive and thrive in harmony and inspired by nature, so. It's, it's kind of the only way forward. Otherwise our back is against the wall. I mean, the old yeah. stories are very much the doom and gloom. And yes. there is, you're right, the, the Design Science Studio represents kind of like a cutting edge meeting point of, you know, uh, creatives, designers, artists, creators, um, scientists. And I like what you said about weaving story. For me, what came up a lot throughout this entire cohort is just the necessity for a new kind of language. And, you know, I said it in your intro, you're, you're also, you know, an, an expert in, in cross-cultural kind of innovation initiatives. And, you know, you and I share this quite a bit because the cross-cultural space, the space of, you know, multiple languages is the space where, well, for one, we make a lot of mistakes when we speak foreign languages, but two, those mistakes actually enable deeper levels of understanding, of connecting, and then basically birthing innovation. And so I, yeah. I really loved that there was such a profound depth of new terms, which we can we can tap into quite a bit. But I think even just the word renaissance itself is a great example of that. Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's important then to go over it, I think. Uh, I'm not so much, I mean, being a futurist, we use a lot of buzzwords to let understand, you know, what we are talking about and also to create this vision, you know, to, to embody the vision with the language. But as uh, Wittgenstein says, you know, the limits of my language are, or mean the limits of my word. I think we need to be carefully picking the, the right word. I had a long discussion, actually a beautiful conversation uh, um, about uh, uh, building the future or weaving, you know, building, weaving or letting unfold, you know, and coming from, I'm, um, I, um, I'm a Buddhist scholar. 
and uh, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> specialize on Zen and uh, Dogen uh, teachings. Um, so for me, we have nothing to build. If there is something that we can do with the future is to let the spontaneous effortless action, let it unfold and let the future emerge freely from our continuous work, our continuous daily moment by moment choices and action. So uh, yes, the words, yes, the language, yes, the stories. And this need all to be channeled into action. So I'm very much uh, for action, action, action. And I think uh, the future, the, this, this regenerative future is very, I mean, it's for the one that they are willing to go the extra mile for renewing, restoring, regenerating, recreating, rethinking, and, and so on and so on. It's hard work. And so we need to roll up uh, our sleeves, you know? So it's yes, the words. I, but I think at the end of the day, that's lots of action, lots of work that needs to be done. And uh, yeah, we need to make our hands dirty. And, uh, and then be conscious of the words. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, I totally agree. I just want to like, you know, um, one, one of the many words that came up, double tap on that, meaning like that's the modern version of saying, I want to affirm what you're saying, um, just like you double tap on a picture on Instagram or so. I think what you're saying is, is speaking towards solutionism, right? Like a mindset and a philosophy that a better way of living is actually possible. But in order for that, we need to A, reimagine it, B, trust that it's possible. But then also this kind of planetary change can only be based on many actions that are ultimately unpredictable also you know the the old paradigms and the the, the dying infrastructures of you know um, systems and bureaucracy and and the way we set up this world or people have set up this world before us yeah. try to predict certain outcomes but what we're looking for in a regenerative culture is ultimately quite ineffable it's it's incapable of being expressed in words because it's ultimate nature is transformational in the experience itself. And just to, to point at that, I mean, how could it be any different, right? We're, we're, we're sitting, if you were listening to the doom and gloom narrative at the, you know, the six mass extinction. Um, and so that threshold point in order not to make it the six mass extinction, but actually going into a regenerative future, it needs to be transformational. It needs to be a new kind of ineffable experience. Yeah, yeah it, it needs to be uh radical and it needs to be also um, go a bit further uh into just uh, thinking about innovating but it's really about we are creating a system for sharing value so we are moving from a system where we are sharing goods and money and transaction and so on to a system where we embrace nurture relationship and create a new era of uh, value sharing 
So what is this value that we are sharing? How we can transact uh, transact value? And uh, uh, this, I think, is a core topic for all the systems. Because I mean, when we talk about the regeneration, something sometimes uh, people say, but when you're talking about language, I mean, regeneration. Uh, so it's agriculture, you know, it's like the land and so on. I mean, yes, I'm coming from a little village and my family, uh, they are all farmers. So I really believe that the first work is on land or restoration and so on. But uh, yes, and regeneration is a biological, cultural, social, and generative process that constitutes us in our really like inner journey from the beginning to till, I mean, till the end of our um, existence. So it's the entire existence is about regeneration and degeneration. So life is a constant balance, a constant play, constant uh, um, fluctuation of uh, uh, regeneration and degeneration. So this is, uh, I think is important to see both sides and it's also important to embrace both sides as we embrace light and shadow. And I think for me, uh, seeing the regeneration, you have also to see the degeneration. So what is degeneration? Yeah. What, what is now degenerating as a model? And uh, what is the regeneration movement uh, brings about uh, in terms of transformative, transformational um, experiences? So this is... Uh, uh, we are birthing a new world, no? So this and is we are, entirely... right? Coming from a, an old world, as you say, of degeneration that, that try to dominate nature and kind of exchange a lot of the natural processes with, with robots and uh, genetically modified crops and so forth. But that is a, a culture of thinking that resorts in the culture of agriculture. But ultimately, it comes back to, as you said, the whole the whole spectrum from agriculture to the way we treat the soil to the way we build social structures or maybe not built but weaved and in to the way we allow each other to be participants and, and so in a way the collective behaviors that emerge when people places and shared experiences collide that that are the that is this culture this regenerative culture in an essence Ilaria, I'm curious about the project that you're creating around you know the storytelling platform you you briefly mentioned earlier um, how can people find that and participate? Um, we are working on a platform uh, which is called uh, Coevolution R, and uh, the R play a big, uh, big part in all this. Uh, I just read a couple of days ago an interesting article on the generation R. And I think, yes, we are uh, all the generation are because we need to do a lot, a lot of work around the letter R. So I think it's really like the time for the rise of this uh, um, everything, rebirth, resilience, responsibility, reconnection, uh, revolution, reality. <laughs> we can go on for forever here yeah, because there are so many beautiful words with the R. Um, the platform it's, um, is already online under coevolutionr.1 and uh, we will launch the first event uh, in cooperation with the uh, Design Science Studio 
um, and this will be uh, the first, the, the third week of March, is the first collective uh, storytelling experiment, and we will work on regenesis rewriting the genesis nice. <laughs> so that's gonna be like a super exciting experiment i'm very curious to see what is emerging yeah for anyone who didn't catch it it's coevolution r.1 and i'm gonna make sure to put that in the show notes as well um yeah planet-centric collaborative platform for collective storytelling dedicated to whole systems renewal and you know the whole idea of coevolution or evolution even as a process outside of us or a process in a book has like always just astounded me how people could say like evolution is something that Charles Darwin wrote a theory about. Evolution is what we're experiencing. Evolution or co-evolution is who we are as a species when we understand our role as a, a keystone species on the planet, right? Like we're, I have often said this, we're not here to leave no footprint. We're here to learn what kind of graceful footprint to leave so that we're in harmony with the other species, the the forest, the for, the flora, the fauna. And um, yeah, stories are a massive part of it because the current collective story is broken. The current collective story has a problem with death. The current collective story tries to make us immortal rather than understanding that our souls are already yeah. immortal. So it's it's curious. Um, it's an invitation for anyone listening to join coevolutionr.1 and, and, and check this out and, and play. Ilaria, I have a, a few personal questions um, so people get to know you a bit better and I get to know you a bit better. Um, the first one is going to be about trust because I've, I've learned that a lot of these projects on the cutting edge of culture and you know just these, these new emerging fields have a lot to do with the speed of trust. So my question around trust is just for you as a person, what is required to experience trust? Hmm. That's a beautiful question. It's such a complex question. It's trust has so much to do with our, um, well, with a lot, with our brain, with uh, our um, entire biographical uh, work. So uh, there is lots of trauma that needs to be healed and before <laughs> one can trust, I believe. Uh, I think that in our society, I mean, we are walking around with a mask uh, all day. <laughs> Literally <laughs> now, yeah. Right now, you know. Well, before people but, were walking but, around with okay. these, these masks that they faked who they are, right? Right, I would say, you know, the, the, the extreme of the mask that we are wearing today to protect ourselves from the COVID is just showing the, the fact that we were wearing a mask for a long time. Trust is, uh, is on authenticity, you know, trust uh, is uh, built around authentic relationship and authentic uh, uh, so the presence and authenticity of a person and um, it, it is sustained by uh, I would say by compassion and um, loving kindness and I think trust also emerged from a place of equanimity not only equality, but equanimity. Um, 
it's most probably the most fundamental um, the most fundamental source for cultivating a new regenerative mindset because I think without trust, cooperation will not exist. And I think, yeah. especially because we are moving today uh, through digital lines in digital spaces, um, you need to trust uh, to share and make yourself vulnerable. I strongly believe uh, in uh, um, the power of small tribes so small groups, because over a certain numbers of team members or group members, their relationship is not authentic anymore. There is no space for intimacy. So for sharing in a way that is uh, uh, yeah, compassionate and uh, um, yeah, authentic, transparent, um, open, and so maybe keep small groups um, will reinforce and will support our feeling of uh, trust and of belonging also, because the, if you have a huge group, it's difficult to find yourself in. Yeah, so, trust and belonging are an interesting pair. Yeah. Because as you said, like trauma and healing trauma and that includes all of us. I think, you know, I've, I've definitely had like a comparatively speaking, milder childhood experience. You know, there's, there's no massive trauma, but things that happen to us when we we're younger, they're traumatic to the child, no matter how intense they are, right? Like yeah. if you're being told no or being told off or you're in a, you know, a industrial revolution school system and and told to perform in a certain way they cause a form of trauma that make us only follow these these modus operandi that or modus operandi that are that are currently in place and they 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 lead us away from trusting ourselves yes. and so in that context of of knowing are we free of that trauma to actually fully trust ourselves our inner calling and then um the the groups with whom we collaborate it's fascinating that you went there because that feeling of belonging, I think every human being, every human soul is, is, is working on that in some way, form or other, because we've created a culture where you belong to the workplace, you belong to your nation, but those are illusions. They are not, they're not real in the sense of what matters to the heart of the soul. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and this is absolutely against nature because over a certain amount of members, for example, also the classroom, over 15, the kids, they do not perform uh, good anymore because they maybe feel lost. Uh, I mean, we have also introverts, extroverts, we all kind of different personalities, all kind of different brains. And um, I believe uh, if you want to create a system that is inclusive by design, which is again a core element for creating a regenerative future, we are really to be careful uh, when we create something, when we work in group, we, are, we, we incentivate co-creation and collaboration to not go over like this massive, huge social media 
container where everyone is in and no one is in basically so they're all out everyone is in but we are all out <laughs> so. yeah this idea of people checking out is i think something that everyone listening can relate to in some way shape or form that there might have been a moment in our in your life where you checked out or there might have been a moment in your life where you're like ah oh, i don't need to be fully present to this but that's so inherent in how we've built things. Like, I'll give you an example. I was just at an airport yesterday and, you know, with, with the current pandemic, there's obviously a lot of um, changes in the way people are dealing with people. And the people that dealt with me in the process of, of, of moving through the protocol of what we need to comply with uh, for traveling, they were pretty much checked out. Their answer was, oh, no, go to the, the, the machine and um, do it on the machine. That was the, the steady comment, right? So it's so checked out to with even with the work that people are supposed to be doing because it, there's no space for a, a human to human interaction, right? It's, it's quite difficult actually to, to engage someone to say, hey, I, I don't see you as the transaction to get my ticket stamped. I see you as another human yeah. who also will have to stamp my ticket. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I hope that we will not uh, replace human with the machine because then the trust is going really to a to a completely uh, different level i had i think 12 or 13 years ago i did a project uh, in one of the first metaverse of second life and the, uh, one of the core topic of my research was actually how we build identities and communities and trust inside of a virtual uh, world. And I found this so fascinating because of course you can fake everything. And uh, you see now uh, that we have fake news, a fake profile, a fake uh, whatever. And so this is uh, again, you know, if you wanna think in terms of trust, how can we build mutually beneficial relationships that they are based on equanimity and loving kindness and compassion and sustain cooperation and sustain a, a thriving and balanced world where, yeah, well, everyone is welcome where everyone yeah. can thrive. I think in order to figure out how to do that, and, and maybe this is not the only pathway to get there, but following kind of the, the, the track of what's happening on this planet and, you know, the human consciousness, as far as my personal insights go, I think we might have had to go all the way to this place. We might have had to go all the way to this place where we glorified the ego, we, where we glorified our individualism to understand there is a necessity in taking care of yourself first. But if you take it too far and then you glorify yourself, the only consequence can be doom, right? Because it, we will ultimately destroy the planet. And so now that, that we have gone that far, it's becoming blatantly obvious. It's in fact becoming so obvious that the only other alternative of visionary future for the planet is to replace people with robots, to destroy the soil further, to you know create immunity passports and, and God knows what. And so uh, I believe this is maybe right, right before midnight, but it's also the time where a lot of people and everyone listening certainly is like ready to awaken to a complete new role that humanity can play. And I have a question on that topic, actually, now that we, we kind of, you know, naturally went there. 
Ilaria, how is your personal optimism come back to you? Like, how do you find optimism in all this over and over again to show up for the work you do and to be inspired to, you know, teach others? And I'm curious. I cannot define myself as an optimist. <laughs> I would define myself as a realist. <laughs> Um, so I'm very much, um, I try to see the reality for what it is. Um, I believe that both the pessimism and ex optimism, they are tendentially a bit extreme. Um, and I think uh, uh, it's important that we we learn to question everything, you know? So that if one is learn to question everything, you then start to, including our own views. This is something that I'm repeating over and over again. So not just question what repeat. the other people are yeah, saying, yeah. No? but also what I'm saying, what I'm, you know, these thoughts that I have start now. ourselves, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so um, optimism, um, might be, <clears throat> I, can't, I mean, it's just maybe sad to say contraproductive. <laughs> it's not efficient, but I mean, it's as a dysfunctionality. And so I more embrace, as I said from the beginning, this light and shadow, both sides, you know? So when I see a regeneration, I see degeneration. When I see, um, cooperation I see also separation now when we see black we see also white when we see the feminine feminine force we see also the masculine force I mean it's a constant constant interplay interdependent flow of uh, the, the the Indra's net so it's a net where the polarities and the complementary forces play hopefully harmoniously together. So I'm not sure if uh, having an optimist view will help us because the optimist as the one that they push too far, the positive side, they end up ignoring the other side. And this is, I think, not what I would like to, um, to support. Uh, again, because the system, I believe, uh, has to be inclusive by design. And inclusive by design, it means you include everything. So you just don't let out the stuff that they are smelly, you know. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is uh, very important. I mean, most probably a Zen type of uh, teaching coming from the Zen tradition to say, you know, you embrace the entire reality and not just what you like you know what is shining and all the rest you just throw it away <laughs> it's all useful it's a, good one. it's a good one you know you just said we should always challenge uh, everything including our own thoughts and our own convictions and, and so i i like optimism and i i think it's fundamentally important to embrace you know the, the zen uh buddhist wisdom you just shared around uh, embracing the full spectrum of yin and yang and the full spectrum of black and white and that metaphorical sense and so interesting maybe i'll have to rethink the way i look at optimism after this episode and i'm open to that <laughs> um, so <laughs> well that's 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 exactly what we were just talking about um 
Ilaria, is there anything else you'd love to share? Maybe, um, you know, another project of yours or like a little anecdote where you, you can highlight this kind of, you said it a few times, like this spontaneous emergence of, of the cross-pollination or of like of, of change that, that happens when, when people, when worldviews, when, when, when things collide in a, in a positively facilitated way. Yeah. Um, it's going back to the effortless uh, action. So this uh, spontaneity, which is like the Wu Wei uh, again. I mean, they just come up the Lao Tzu, uh, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. So I, love I think that one. it's kind of, <laughs> you know, you're not going to push, go and get it. It's like the opposite. <laughs> so I really like surrender, embrace, uh, and everything is accomplished. That doesn't mean that you are not acting because our Western mind, uh, when, uh, um, uh, when, when is uh, contemplating the Wu Wei principle is really thinking, oh, okay, just sit down on a pillow and some kind of, you know, supernatural force will arrive with a super conscious uh, uh, power and will give me everything I need. No, this is not like this. It means you act, act, act from a place of love, from a place of uh, compassion, from a place of, um, um, well, from a place where nature is, uh, is there all the time. So you are embracing nature principle and by doing that, you just, everything is accomplished without you having to force anything, you know, having to push anything. And I think, you know, let go of control. I think it's a very important, <laughs> very important learning from our control and fear and all type of this uh, type of culture that we have created uh, that is completely degenerate because you know there is you cannot control and start to spray some pesticides for controlling the earth the, because it's gonna be more then you need to spray more and this is like 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 when i when you have to clean your hands you have to clean it now 30 seconds 50 it's all good okay it's fine but it's a system of control that is not gonna serve any one of us because it's against nature so this is it. And there's a time for everyone to understand and integrate what you just said, but I'm sure for everyone that time will come at some point where we we see that the, the domination culture that we've practiced for at least 2000 years as a species, um, you know, there is a there is a threshold now where we can change these ways. And in other words, we must. Um, my last question for you, uh, Ilaria, is, is about you know, like a, a, a deeper connection to the visionary soul that, that, that sits in your being. Um, if we were to zoom out right now, just on the timeline of, of, of our existence, and we were to go into a seven generational context here and just imagine for a second, 200, 210 years down the road, our, you know, kids, kids, children's children, um, what's the dream or the vision or the, 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 the hope you have for our species and for this planet? I hope that we will refrain from causing harm to ourselves and to others, to animals, to plants, to the earth, the waters, the air, 
Um, so my, my purpose is to alleviate the suffering of all beings. Um, and I think uh, and I hope that this will uh, enter into the epigenetic, you know, into the system, into the memory of the cells of the next generation. And also that a new story will enter into the heritage, into this beautiful uh, future uh, of the next generations. Um, so I hope I will be, and I am a good ancestor. <laughs> so from a perspective, you know, of my grand, 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 grandchild, and we look back and say, okay, grandma, she was actually trying to do her best <laughs> to alleviate the suffering of the other beings, including her suffering. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really hope I really hope they they will all look back and be like, oh my god, they barely oh made it. They barely made it, but they were so full of themselves. Eh? Absolutely. Um, I, I I struggle with that sometimes. With this, like how how can I how can I give more? And what really makes the difference? not just move the needle in this like you know westernized industrial revolution kind of mindset but what really makes a difference for those future generations yes Ilaria, I'm, I'm grateful um you know to have shared the last six months with you in the design science studio cohort uh i'm thankful for your answers on this podcast interview i'm really excited to stay connected and see what what emerges what kind of work uh, we might share in the future and uh, for anyone listening this is also a call for applications, meaning if you're inspired by uh, Ilaria or by what I had to share in this episode, and if you, you know, are curious about the Design Science Studio cohort, um, check out Design Science Studio. You can Google it. You can message me. I'll also put it into the show notes and, and apply if you're one of those artists, creators, or scientists who, you know, is at this cutting edge of, of creating and wants to meet, you know, his or her tribe. Yes. Thank you, Ilaria. Thank you very much, Julian, for inviting me today. It was a great conversation. Look forward to see more emerging <laughs> from this beautiful uh, podcast and your fun energy and a uh, great compassion, open art, great mind. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Here we are again. This is your host, Julian, and I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Check out my Patreon, best way to support the podcast, myself and the mission, lots of exciting perks and ways to be engaged to receive more value. That being said, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, share it with the people you love, and have yourself a stellar day. Thank you.